It's FAQ NYC Off Cycle. We're the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers. The city steps back to take different and deeper looks into some of the things that are always happening here in the only place in the world. I'm Katie Honan. Was there a backup on the jockey this morning? How's the Deegan and the Van Wyck looking? And what's the outbound on the Holland and the Lincoln? If you listen to enough news radio, you'll get acquainted with names like these. They're the engineers, corrupt mayors, and baseball legends who left a mark on New York City and are now honored with streets and bridges and highways named in their honor. But who were some of these people? What good and sometimes evil deeds did they do here in the city that made them notorious enough for these names? Rebecca Bratsby's, a full professor at CUNY School of Law with a focus on environmental law, has compiled a history of these people and places in her book, Naming Gotham, the villains, rogues, and heroes behind New York's place names. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on FAQ. I guess I'll first ask you, are you currently calling from a street or a neighborhood named after anybody notable? I am. I am speaking to you from Astoria, which is Ah. named after uh, John Jacob Astor, who never actually set foot in the place. (laughs) <laughs> I know he is he is named in your book. There's a, there's a full history there. Uh, I kind of thought that might be the answer. So, you know, uh, it's a very interesting reason as to why it was named for him. And, you know, I guess he was our first multimillionaire and we do love money here in New York City. Um, he was also the most hated man in America. <laughs> that that uh, they often come from New York and sometimes I fear <laughs> So uh, I do want to ask, of course, you know, what inspired you to research and write this book? If you want to take the listeners on a kind of, I'm sure, it was, I know it took you a while to kind of get through all this. So if you want to go through that history. Sure. So this book actually started in a traffic jam. Uh, my parents live in Pennsylvania and my husband and I used to drive uh, from Astoria on to the Major Deegan to get to the George Washington Bridge before we figured out that was not the way to go. <laughs> Um, the merge between the Cross Bronx and the Major Deegan on the way up to the bridge is has been named more than once as the worst road in uh, New York City and once the worst road in America. So anyway, that's not the way to go. But I am not the most patient person. So when I was in traffic, I would get very, very frustrated. And often I would direct that frustration at Major Deegan. Like, who was <laughs> that Major Deegan anyway? And my family listened for a while. And finally, they said, well, why don't you find out? So I did. And it turned out that he was way less impressive than you might have expected from somebody who has a road uh, connecting to the George Washington Bridge about him. And it it really got me thinking, like, who was Bruckner? Who was Kosciuszko? Who who were these people? And so I started researching and um, started telling people stories when we were mostly stuck in traffic. and eventually people said you should write a book. So I did. And, you know, what's interesting to me, and, and you mentioned you mentioned Kosciuszko, who was the mm-hmm. uh, Polish war hero. And there are so many things across the country named for him. There's a park in Chicago. There's an entire county in Indiana. Um, and, of course, uh, the bridge here in New York and, and a street, I believe, as well in Brooklyn. Um, and a park. When you, and a park, right? There's so many things. You know, when you look at who things were named after when you were going through your research. I mean, who was kind of part of this very local New York City movement? And I guess who, like Kosciuszko, was more of a, you know, I think someone like John F. Kennedy. Obviously, there's lots of things named for him. So I don't know if you had that breakdown or or if there were, when you were researching it, um, what was interesting about who kind of gets named in a national movement and then who was a very, very local person. I mean, Major Deegan, probably one of them. 
Um, most of them have a pretty clear local tie, and actually so does Kosciusko. He helped orchestrate the victory in uh, Saratoga, which oh. is obviously in New York. And uh, the bridge was named in 1940, right as the Nazis were invading Poland. So it was really a very important symbolic moment in terms of uh, New York embracing its Polish community and looking to a future where Poland would be free again. But most of the people that things are named for have a much more direct New York City connection. And in fact, if you look, the sort of criteria that seemed to put somebody at the top of the list for getting something named after them would be to die young, be white, be male, and have a connection to Robert Moses. Yeah, I mean, we could get into that a little bit because, again, when I was reading your book, um, so many people, it's like, why did this person just built this thing? There wasn't anything. Um, Sheridan, I believe, well, he was the Bronx, you know, there were so many things where I'm thinking, why did this person, even Bruckner was a soda king, you know, he had soda, I learned that in your book. So I guess if you want to talk a little bit about, of course, it's decades after he's died, Robert Moses still is playing the role of main villain in New York City. So if you want to talk a little bit about that connection and how those people got those things named for them. Well, um, Bruckner was the Bronxboro president, in addition to being a soda pop king. And the way that the Bruckner Expressway became named after him, just like the way that the Major Deegan became named after him as mm -hmm. an expressway, was it started as a local road being renamed. So in Bruckner's case, it was Eastern Boulevard, and I don't remember what it was in Major Deegan's case, but city council voted very soon after they died, within weeks after their deaths, to rename local roads in their honor. And then when um, Robert Moses, in his infinite wisdom, decided that these needed to be expressways to move people efficiently and in quotes, because it always cracks me up that the rationale for all of these roads was that it would ease congestion. And of course, they become the synonyms for congestion in New York. But anyway, when Robert Moses decided to force these highways through the Bronx, he kept the names of the uh, of the roads that they were replacing. Um, what I find really interesting is um, reading about these people, obviously some people like Jackie Robinson. I mean, I think that's someone who everyone knows. Um, who, when you were going through this book, I, I know you, you mentioned him earlier, but were there some people that really, really almost bothered you that they had something named after them because of how little they may be accomplished or maybe just their close connections to the people in power? Um, well, I think Major Deegan is a good example of sort of mediocrity, um, which uh, maybe that's not quite fair. I mean, he did, you know, he served did useful jobs and he probably did them pretty well. But when you think about a road being named for somebody, you think like, I always assumed that Major Deegan was a war hero or that he died in battle. Right. And neither of those is true. And in fact, he spent, he was um, in the U S army in world war one. And he spent his entire career in the army here in New York, building fortifications around New York city, <laughs> which is important work, but it's hardly the stuff of legend. And of course, he used his title, his military title, for the rest of his life, even though he only spent a very brief time in the military. Um, he clearly was very popular. 
people liked him. He was best buds with Jimmy Walker, who was the mayor of New York, who incidentally nothing is named for. Um, perhaps that's because he resigned in disgrace. But that doesn't seem to have stopped other people from having things named for them. So I don't know. Well, that actually is a great transition to my next question. Um, you call Robert Van Wyke, uh, who has the world, my least favorite uh, expressway mm-hmm. name for him, simply the corrupt mayor. But I guess that has to be more specific because there's been more than one. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think it's interesting. You're, you're very blunt and you've spoke, spoken about it in this interview that uh, a lot of these people who things were named for, again, like someone is corrupt. Um, where do you think that the logic of what name, what things get named for um, and and why, especially if, you know, why can't there be a Jimmy Walker park somewhere, you know, or, or who knows? Um, you know, I, I think it, it's important to understand that we're looking back on decisions that were made without maybe as much thought as we might give to it now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the act of naming has taken on incredible importance now. I'm not sure it had that same level of importance when, say, the Van Wyck was named. And Van Wyck, for all that he was an unbelievably corrupt mayor, he was the first mayor of unified New York. That's sort of an important moment in history. Does it justify having a road named after him? Probably not, but at least it's a terrible road. So it sort of reflects something about him. Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) You know, there have been in recent years efforts to introduce more diverse monuments and street names and, and maybe even revisit some of these places. Um, You know, some people say, look, we can't just go ahead and rename everything after when you take a better look at the person's life in the fuller picture. Um, But then also, you know, these can be very hurtful names. Someone, a listener reached out about Underhill Avenue. Um, A park has already been renamed that was named Underhill because of his involvement in killing indigenous people, but there's still uh, streets named for him. So what is your take on the larger issue of both how we commemorate people in the city moving forward and then whether we should kind of do this large scale renaming across New York City? I think it's really important to have a full public conversation and make intentional choices. Um, you know, in Van Cortland Park, the mill pond was just renamed Hester and Piero's Mill Pond to reflect the enslaved people who actually worked at the mill at the mill pond. I think that's really important. There's a bill right now in the state assembly to rename the Queen's Midtown Tunnel in honor of Jane Boleyn, who was the first Black woman to serve as a judge, not only here in New York City, but in the United States. She was appointed by Mayor LaGuardia, and for the first 20 years she was a judge, she was the only Black female judge in the United States. I think she's somebody who should be commemorated. Um, When you talk about renaming, I, you know, I I think we have to have nuance, but I think it's an important conversation that we should be having. And to give you an example of what I think is the prime candidate for renaming, Rikers Island needs to be renamed, not only because of the horrors of the jail on Rikers Island, but because of who the Rikers family were and who in particular Richard Riker was, which I go into in great detail in the book, but he was uh, a really villainous figure in the run-up to the Civil War. Yeah, in that book, you know, there were the Yankee privateer Andrew and the kidnapping club, (laughs) Richard. Um, 
Do you think, I mean, getting sort of public sentiment behind this, I, I thinking back to the, I guess it was the failed movement to remove the Christopher Columbus statue. <clears throat> this was what, 2018 or 2019? Mm-hmm. I can't remember pre-COVID. Um, how much of that do you think has to come from like a public outcry and this movement? I mean, even, you know, removing some of the medallions on the Canyon of Heroes, it seems every so often, maybe every every year or so, there's like a, a push to remove it and then nothing happens. I don't know if if it should just be government actually making that decision or it should be a larger um, push. Well, I think it was really important that the uh, Sims statue was removed from Central Park mm-hmm. and um, that the entryway was just renamed for the exonerated people who had been accused of horrific crimes in Central Park. Um, you know, I, I think we what I, I think part of the problem arises when what happens is there's a public outcry and then a decision, as mm. opposed to a public conversation that starts with a question and allows people to genuinely think through and talk through what does it mean to name something after a person and who are the people we want to name things after? When just as an example that isn't so fraught as the ones we've been talking about, after Joe DiMaggio died, Governor Pataki announced that he was he wanted to rename the Major Deegan after uh, DiMaggio, which you know makes sense. It goes past Yankee Stadium. And there was a huge outcry in opposition to it. And nobody even knows who Major Deacon was. And I think in part, it's because it was this top-down announcement by fiat of a plan as opposed to a conversation about who are we and how do we want to present ourselves to the world? How much of that also do you think it's maybe New Yorkers and just people in general's reluctance to change? Well, there's that as well. Um, (laughs) You know, the I think it will be a very long time before people refer to the Queensboro Bridge as the Ed Koch Bridge. Um, interesting thing about the Queensboro Bridge, of course, is if you're in Queens, which I am, we call it the Queensboro Bridge. If you're in Manhattan, you tend to call it the 59th Street Bridge. So maybe a third name will work eventually, and maybe people on both sides of the bridge will use it. We'll see. Uh, I think that the RFK Bridge is slowly working its way into popular conversation. Um, you know, there's still signs all up and down the highway saying the Triborough Bridge has been renamed the J- the RFK, even though it happened a really long time ago. But eventually, it I, I think that will take hold. Um, after Governor Cuomo resigned, there were immediately bills in the legislature to propose unnaming the Mario Cuomo Bridge. Um, didn't go anywhere. But, you know, I think it's a combination of People don't like change and people don't like being told what to call things. I mean, I think people might well welcome a conversation about naming, even those who um, have a knee-jerk reaction against an announcement of a naming. Yeah, I don't know if anyone refers to one Center Street municipal building as the David Dinkins building. Um, And I still call it the Triborough, but I guess it is. It's just, it's habit. it, I mean, it's slowly, I think, changing. I mean, it took a long time, even in Harlem, it took a long time for people to refer to Malcolm X Boulevard instead of Lenox Avenue. And le- the Lenox family were enslavers. Like they had 
they made their fortune in part through enslaved labor. And yet it took a really long time before people started referring to it as Malcolm X Boulevard. This is uh, this this is maybe a controversial question, but I wonder if you sometimes think that there are too many things named for a specific person. You know, sometimes I think, wow, we really have a LaGuardia airport, a LaGuardia high school, a LaGuardia place, a LaGuardia community college. There's a LaGuardia park, I believe. And not that he wasn't a great mayor. You know, I wasn't alive at the time, so I'm not the best judge. Just be looking at history books. But who else do you think maybe there's just a disproportionate amount of things named for them? Not to insult the dead or anything, but... Right. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, LaGuardia is certainly the the one that comes to mind. Um, in my book, I tried really hard to focus. I mean, I, he's in there because it would be really hard to not put him in. But yeah. I tried really hard to focus on the more obscure people mm-hmm. whose people maybe whose names you would know without knowing uh, much about them beyond, beyond their name. Um, maybe Van Cortland, who's mm-hmm. not in the book. Um, A very complicated legacy. Again, a family that enslaved a lot of people. There's a lot of stuff named after them. Um, No, obviously nowhere near as much as LaGuardia. Actually, funny story about LaGuardia that isn't in the book. And that is that LaGuardia Airport was named for him while he was still alive and while he was still mayor. And it was a Queens member of the well, the precursor to city council, the board of estimates. So, who objected and actually brought a lawsuit trying to block the naming of LaGuardia Airport um, for LaGuardia? It, it didn't go anywhere, but um, you know, it, it these namings were not necessarily universal at the time either. I think it's controversial when you're naming. That's the criticism that uh, former mayor Ed Koch mm-hmm. was given because naming you kind of have to wait for them to die, even on basic street renamings in in New York City, like the sort of ceremonial ones. It's sort of one of the requirements, as you noted earlier, they have to be dead. Um, Who do you think, obviously women and people of color, obviously, are so just not represented, underrepresented, exactly. Who do you think, even if it's just personal favorites of people, think things should be named for? If you have a personal hero in New York City history that you think that would be great if they had a highway or a, a park named for them. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I really, really think we should name something significant after Jane Boleyn. She was such a pivotal person in both New York history and American history. I'd like to see something named for David Ruggles. He was the head of the New York Vigilance Committee uh, and was one of Richard Riker's main antagonists when Riker was part of the kidnapping club. A, A very important figure. He personally led... A, a significant number of enslaved people to freedom and published a newspaper and it tried to keep a public focus on the injustices of the Fugitive Slave Act here in New York. I would love to see something named for him. Perhaps right the island formerly known as Rikers Island. I don't know if there's been a, a formal movement for that. Um, there, there's you know, there are definitely conversations about renaming the island, but I think that really has to come from the people who are most impacted by mass incarceration on Rikers Island. And uh, full disclosure, I'm deeply involved in the Renewable Rikers yeah. project, which is a plan to convert the island to uh, solar power generation and storage in order to remove polluting infrastructure in the form of peaker plants from the communities that were most impacted by mass incarceration 
on Rikers Island. But I, I really think that it's very important in, in that place in particular, it is very important that those who are most affected lead the conversation about what would be an appropriate name. Yeah. You know, when you watch an, the news or or a city council hearing or anything, do you sometimes think who in this list of people, you know, I think of the current city council or past city councils, who will have a street rename for them? Mm-hmm. Or is that maybe looking too far into the future? Uh, well, I wish everybody long life. And I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I certainly don't want to jinx anybody by suggesting we name something after them since the requirement <laughs> is that you not be alive. But if you look at what city council accomplished in the climate context, for example, yeah. over the past decade, right? The, the name of my city council, former city council member, Costa Constantinides, comes up over and over again. He was really the architect of Local Law 97, which is a building retrofit bill. He was the main sponsor and um, leading advocate for renewable Rikers. Um, he helped shepherd through two environmental justice bills. You know, I think that probably something important will wind up eventually being named after him. Um, also, uh, the barons who have represented, um, you know, parts of Brooklyn for a really yeah. long time. I, I would be very surprised if something doesn't get named for one or both of them. I know, you know, in your introduction, you've spoken about it here, too. You kind of view these renamings as a way to reclaim part of history and and, and especially in the environmental justice avenue, because that's what your focus is on. Um, so if you want to talk a little bit more about why these aren't just names, you know, some people, like you said, not everyone has the same curiosity as you do when you're they're stuck in traffic on a highway. But um, if you want to talk a little bit about just the significance of why and how maybe you could even... I don't know, change policy by just how we call something. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the struggles we're having in the United States right now is who gets to decide what counts as history, right? We're seeing that in, you know, the stuff that's going on in Florida and in Texas. Um, There's this notion that there's one version of history and it is the Part that, uh, you know, somebody said a long time ago, history is written by the victors. And one of the really important things we can do through naming is recognize that history is multi layered and complex, and there, there are many, many actors in history. And we all build it together. But the way that our history so far has been represented in the names that we give so many of our things, it is this narrative of white men leading history, creating history, leading progress. And that just doesn't match with the way that our world actually happens. And I think it's really important that we think carefully about how the names we give things shape what we think counts as history. And by recognizing how many contributions were made by people of color, by women, by those whose stories were not considered history until pretty recently, you know, I, I think we can really change 
how we think of ourselves as a community in a very positive way, in a way that recognizes, particularly in New York, the diversity that is our greatest strength. That is a great closing, but I do have one final question now that I'm thinking of it. Because you wrote this book during COVID and and we're still here, you know, in in some form of this pandemic. And one of the larger questions that have sprung up, you know, we have so many war memorials, um, but there's been a, I guess, confusion about how to memorialize. It's more than 40,000 people who died in New York City of COVID. And even just like you, you spoke about in the book, commemorating the mutual aid, the help, and, and the movement that sprung up because of it. I don't know what your thoughts are on how we can memorialize that. And then even going forward, how to memorialize other tragedies here in New York City. Uh, well, I guess, first of all, I don't want to think about memorializing only tragedies. I'd like right, to yes. think of memorializing as celebrating uh, yeah. our successes and victories as well. But with that caveat, again, I I really think that the importance of memorials as cultural touchstones comes from public conversation and public discussion. And I would love to see the city sponsor conversations online, in person, do surveys about what would be an appropriate memorial to what New York went through in the COVID epidemic, and then come back to the city much the way, much the way the the participatory budgeting works, right? right? It starts in communities. It starts in small groups of people having conversations about what they think their priorities are. It then goes to their council members who sort and winnow and organize. And then it goes back to the people for voting again, and the people get to select. You know, I would love to see that kind of a process used for figuring out a a COVID memorial. And one thing I I, I do want to say is that it's really important that we take time to process and memorialize. We didn't do that in 1918 after the flu pandemic. And I think part of the reason that we were so unprepared for COVID was that we never took the time to learn lessons from 1918 and to process them and to have them at the the core of our public health. Yeah, no, it's so true. And I think that's that goes back to why we name things after people and events to be reminded of them and maybe even to spark a curiosity as to who is this person whose street corner I'm on. Um, well, Rebecca Bratsby's I really appreciate you coming on your book, Naming Gotham, The Villains, Rogues, and Heroes Behind New York's Place Names, available, I I suppose, everywhere. I don't know if there's a preferred place to pick it up for you as an author. Um, If you can get it from a local bookstore, I would encourage you to. I mean, it is available online from Amazon, but, you know, we have fantastic local bookstores here in New York City, and please patronize one of them. Perfect. Well, thanks again for joining us, and uh, have fun in... uh, Aster's Astoria. (laughs) Thank you so much. F-A-Q. This has been F-A-Q NYC. We're a part of the city. A nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. 
We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research, and are a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Our executive producer is Harry Siegel, and I'm our engineer, Adam Kamara. A special thank you to Rebecca Bratspies, author of Naming Gotham, the villains, rogues, and heroes behind New York's place names. And thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.